Assalamu alaikum dear brothers and sisters, I hope everyone is doing well inshallah and welcome to another episode of our Tafsir of Dura Kumail uh, podcast. So in the last episode we ended here where Ali ibn Abi Talib was now asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for these different hajat, these different requests that he has. And we said that when you take a look at these requests, when you take a look at these hajat, there's one thing that really stands out and that is that Ali ibn Abi Talib he is he himself and of course he's teaching us as well that you're not supposed to hold back when it comes to asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when it comes to praying to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and requesting things from him you're supposed to aim high you're supposed to have high aspirations and we said that this is not just something you do when you pray really the lesson is that even in your day-to-day -day life you are to have high aspirations and high goals at the end of the day if you look at our life you, you, if, if you have a deep understanding of what our life is from the Islamic perspective, it's really a golden opportunity. You know, if you look at the average uh, expectancy of life um, in different places here in the United States, it's around maybe like 80 years of age, if I'm not mistaken. This 80 years, but this 80 years, you have an opportunity to build a future for yourself that according to all sects of, you know, the Muslim faith, you are then going to move on to a world where you live forever. And what you do in this 80 to 90 years, right? And of course, I'm being generous because, you know, many of us may not live that long. We don't know. It's, none of this is guaranteed. Um, that's going to define what happens for in your next life forever. So this is a golden opportunity. If I have this opportunity, then I'm supposed to make the best of it. I'm not supposed to aim low. So this is what we were talking about. He said this, After he has asked Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to forgive his sins, and now that he's purified and he's come closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he provides this request, right? He brings up this request, but his request is a very lofty one. He says, place me amongst the best of your servants. I want to be in that close circle around you, right? And the ones who are the closest to you. And the ones who have the most proximity towards you. These are all phrases essentially alluding to the same concept. And then he says this, and this is where, inshallah, we'll, we will continue with our discussion. Ya Allah, I'm asking you to make all of this happen because none of this can happen. I will never reach this status. No one will ever reach this status because the verb, it's majhul, or as they say, it's passive, right? This level can never be reached. In other words, nobody can reach this level. Illa bifadlik. Unless uh, that person is benefiting from your grace and your mercy. In other words, you are the one who has to take the hand of this person and elevate them to this status. Yes, he has to put in effort himself as well. But at the end of the day, you are the one who has to also help him. And it's this is really a deep topic 
when it comes to free will and predestination and, and the Shia perspective on this whole issue, how our efforts and the efforts of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and of course, you know, for him, it's a lack of a term to refer to it as effort, but his will, essentially, I should say, our effort and his will, how they are intertwined or how they have to work in an intertwined manner for a particular goal to be achieved. So that's a deeper discussion and we'll leave that for later. But what we do know is that both of these are necessary and both of them are needed. I need to put in that effort and at the same time I need this help and support from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So you go deeper into this, not just when it comes to being a closer servant of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you find that in general purifying ourselves, coming closer to Him, being a good servant, None of these in the verses of the Qur'an and hadith, which we will go through some, none of these seem to be things that the human being can do on his own. And this is important to pay attention to. Why? Because the moment this clicks for us, the moment we understand this, then if we are amongst those people who practice the religion to the T, if we are amongst those people who really, really act upon the teachings of the religion, there will never be room for arrogance. There will never be room for ujbah. Ujbah meaning the type of arrogance that does not present itself outside, but deep down you feel like you've done a lot for God. That's what they call ujbah. It's different from takabbur. Takabbur has an outward expression, right? You expect other people to give salam to you. You expect other people to get up in front of you, right? You expect them to give uh, a salam to you before you give salam to them and, and other examples of it, right? So whether it's takabbur or ujbah, that won't make it into the heart of a person who understands this point that whatever they did do, do with their life, if it was good, that it was done only with the fadla of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this has been emphasized so much in the ahadith of the Ahlul Bayt and the Prophet And the reason for that is because the Islam knows that any community will fall apart if each and every person within that community feel like they are higher, they feel like they are better, they feel like they have some sort of a right upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because they did certain things for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, right? Whoever has that perspective, this person is going to become a problem within the community. Whether it's a community of the Prophet we're talking about 1400 years ago or our communities even today. So because of this, you find that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala continuously in the verses of the Qur'an reminds the Muslims, listen, whatever you get done, yes, credit to you because you guys are putting in effort, but at the same time, it's Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doing His work too. And therefore, you can't walk away feeling like you have some right on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. No, at the end of the day, it's Him doing a favor to you bringing you into this world and then giving you the opportunity and helping you to do the good that you're doing. So where do we find this? For example, in Surah An-Nur, verse 21, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is speaking of this. And this is after the story of ifk or what is referred to as Qissatul ifk It has its own discussion. Um, it's a lengthy discussion. We don't have time to go into that. But essentially, it's about rumors that spread about a female and her, uh, you know, hypothetically, uh, having had a haram relationship with a man and they say that this woman was a relative of the Prophet and between the different schools of thought there's differences of opinion as to who this woman was but the verses of the Quran don't mention anything once that story is over now Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is setting some principles 
this is what he says. He says, from now on, this is what you need to do. Ya amanu. La shaytan. O you who believe, do not follow the footsteps of shaytan. Okay? Because whoever follows the footsteps of shaytan, shaytan will eventually point him towards al-fahsha wal-munkar. He will eventually point him towards that which is evil and that which is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has forbidden. Okay. Now it's interesting here because the verse doesn't say don't obey shaitan. It says don't follow the footsteps of shaitan. Meaning that when shaitan wants to trick the human being, he doesn't do it in a uh, in, in one step. He does it in a gradual manner, right? It says don't follow in these footsteps because where the footsteps lead to, that's the problem. Now there's a akhlaqi point here that we could talk about for a whole episode as to how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, or forgive me, how shaytan, how he gets someone in trouble, right? And how he draws a believer. Because if he comes to the believer initially and says, listen, I want you to you know, murder and steal and lie and do all this stuff, of course the believer is not going to want to be involved in that. But if he tells him, listen, let's just think about this person. Let's just think a little low of this person. Right? Put some rumors around him and then slowly lures him into that, then he'll do that. So the verse says that first. And then it says if you do follow that road, eventually what's gonna happen is you're gonna come across Fahshat wal Munkar. Okay, this is clear. Then this is the part of the verse that relates to the topic that we were discussing. And if it wasn't for the mercy and the grace of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Not one individual from any of you ever would have been able to purify himself. Right? Zakah comes from zakat. It means to purify. There's other meanings mentioned for it as well, but the main meaning that most scholars go with. None of you would be able to purify themselves. Why? Because shaitan, he has his tricks up his sleeve. He knows how to lure the human being into doing wrong things. It's Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who's helping the human being. If anyone is able to purify himself, this is with the help of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Let him not think that he did it on his own. Let him know that when he thought he was alone, there were angels whispering good things into his ear, which came from our support. It came from our help. Otherwise, if we had left him alone, no one would be purified. Abada. Ever. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one who purifies. Right? You guys are not the ones who will purify. Now, this doesn't mean that my effort doesn't hold value. It means that my effort has to be coupled with the help and the mercy and the grace of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Okay, now in a beautiful hadith, I want to share this one hadith from the Prophet. And these are really what I would refer to as golden ahadith in the sense that they apply to our situation so much and just the wording is so beautiful. And uh, this hadith is from the Prophet And he was saying this, لَن يَدْخُلَ أَحَدٌ مِّنْكُمْ عَمَلُهُ الْجَنَّةِ Or لَن يُدْخِلَ أَحَدٌ مِّنْكُمْ عَمَلُهُ الْجَنَّةِ He said, listen, None of you guys will enter into heaven just because of your deeds, right? Not that the deeds are not important. It's He was saying that your deeds are important, but there's a missing ingredient. There's something else. And then his companions, of course, were very confused because here's the prophet 
who's always telling us to pray, always telling us to fast, you know, all these different acts of worship. They said, Wala anta ya Rasulullah. Like, we get us because maybe our acts of worship are not complete, right? Maybe they're incomplete, they're inefficient. But you, I mean, your acts of worship should be fine. Your acts of worship should get you into heaven, right? Okay, here's what the Prophet said. Qal, wala ana. He said, neither me or, or nor me. Like, not even me. Okay. And then, of course, they need more explanation. So he says this. Unless Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala covers me, encompasses me, showers me with his mercy and his grace. Even I would not be able to get into heaven. Why? Because even my acts of worship don't, don't uh, essentially stand up. They don't add up to what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants from me. In other words, whatever I do as a human being, it won't be enough. It's the mercy and the grace of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that is there. So what we're understanding from these verses of the Quran and Ahadith are two things. First of all, when you do pr perform good deeds, when you do act upon the religion, there is a support from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for you to do that, number one. Number two, when you do get the deed done, still that deed in and of itself is not even enough. Still that technically is not enough for what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala expects from you and me. But because he knows we are human beings and we can't do more, he accepts the incomplete deed of ours. He accepts the inefficient deed of ours. This is the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that's why you find in Hadith Qudsi, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he is telling his companions or forgive me, his servants. He says this, لا Tell those who do good deeds, and they should do good deeds, tell them not to rely only on those good deeds. Why? Because those good deeds that they do, even if they're able to do it, which they will do with my support, by the way, but even when they do get it done, it's still not enough. It's still inefficient. It's still incomplete. Because even if they spend their whole lives trying to worship me properly, trying to win my heaven, win my Jannah with their acts of worship, it won't be enough compared to the type of worship I am worthy of. Compared to the type of worship that I am supposed to receive. Okay. That's not going to be enough. But here's what we can do. Right? You know, when you're speaking to someone who, you know, imagine speaking to a lawyer whose fee is very high. It's a very high fee, right? And he says, you know what? You guys, imagine this person wants to do some, you know, uh, some work for a nonprofit, for example, right? Uh, he says, you know what? You guys can't afford me. Okay, <laughs> doesn't matter how much money you guys try to bring to the table, uh, it's not enough. I've been paid ten times the amount that you would ever be able to bring to the table. But but what we can do is maybe if I take a look at your case and I really feel like you know it's a very severe situation, out of the goodness of my heart, right? We can just forgive the extra amount. You can just bring whatever you want to bring to the table. The rest of it I'll take care of, you know, the rest of it I'll, for, I'll forgive, right? That's kind of like what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying here. Saying, listen, whatever you guys bring to the table, it's not going to be enough. But understand that, know that. Because if a human being understands that, and then the more he does for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, 
the more he will feel in debt to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I remember reading, uh, you know, du'as from Imam al-Sajjad uh, when I was uh, a bit younger and it, it, this never made sense to me. It's like, how is it that someone who is doing so much good and he's worshiping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala day and night and at the end of the day, you look at his du'as and he says like, you know, I'm the worst and, I, and I've and i done the least and I'm nothing, right? That's because when the work that you do is not enough, every time Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accepts a good deed from you, you are more in debt to him now, right? Because that means he has forgiven more from his own rights. The more you do good, the more you come closer to him. That means what? That means every time you did a good deed, he has forgiven all the things that you didn't do. He's forgiven all of the inefficiencies and the incompleteness in your act of worship. So the more you do, the more you are in debt to him. Right? So he continues in this hadith. He says, here's what we can do. What you guys can bring to the table is not going to be enough. But what we can do, وَلَكِنْ بِرَحْمَةِ فَلْيَثِقُوا If they want to have hope and they want to believe in something, they can believe in my mercy. They have to act upon the religion. But you know what? If they're missing that extra piece, which is a huge piece, that extra piece you can make up for it if they believe and rely on my mercy. And they should have hope in my grace. They let them think highly of me. And if they think highly of me, then I will make that actually happen. I will deal with them and I will treat them in the way that they think of me. So if they're sitting there and they say, you know what, our actions are not enough. But this Lord that we know of, he is merciful. He will, inshallah, because of these deeds and because of however much effort we made, he will bring us into heaven, inshallah. Then I will do that. I will act upon that. Because if they believe in my rahmah and my mercy, then my rahmah and my mercy will actually be there. And then the hadith continues and he says this, and this is a beautiful line. Because I am Allah who is Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim, who is the all-beneficent to all creatures, who is Ar-Rahim specifically to the believers. That's what I'm known for, right? That's what stands out with me, my Rahmah and my mercy. So tell them to believe in my Rahmah and my mercy and inshallah I'll take care of it. But you know the rest of it, they have to act upon the religion. They have to act upon the teachings. So when Ali ibn Abi Talib says, فَإِنَّهُ لَا يُنَالُ ذَلِكَ إِلَّا بِفَضْلِكَ This is what he's talking about. That whatever I do in order to get it done, there are parts of my deed that have to come from you. The opportunity has to come from you. The fact that I'm alive to even be in that situation to do the good deed has to come from you. The opportunity where you have angels and you prepare an environment that makes me inclined Toward, toward doing that good deed needs to come from you. All of these different things have to come from you. The tools that I use, right? The intellect that I have, the body that I use to perform these good deeds, right? My imagination, my intellect, my mind, even if it's just an intention, right? You still need an intellect for that. Those tools have to come from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Therefore, whatever you and I do, we can't really take full credit for it. We can take partial credit for it. But at the end of the day, we are still in debt to the one who allowed us and enabled us to carry out these good deeds, right? So that's number one. And then number two, even when I do perform the good deed, then still that good deed doesn't really stack up for much unless I couple it with the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
Moving on, and you would bless me with your generosity, and you would have mercy upon me, and you would be inclined towards me with your splendor, and protect me with your mercy. And make it such that this tongue of mine is constantly in your remembrance, right? It doesn't cease from remembering you. And make my heart enthralled with your love. Make it such that my, my heart is entangled with the love that it has towards you. Now these two lines and the contrast between these two lines is a discussion that we'll have inshallah in the next episode as to how Ali ibn Abi Talib is explaining that I want the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to be there in my day-to-day -day life right, through my tongue, make it such that my tongue is remembering you at all times, but then don't let it stop there. Make it also such that my heart is involved in this process. What is Ali ibn Abi Talib trying to say here and what can we understand from these lines? Inshallah, we'll leave that for the next episode and we'll continue uh, from this point uh, onwards. Until then, keep us in your du'as. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.